Well, as we come to God's word, let's join in prayer. Let's pray. We bring you thanks, Lord our God, for the record of your word. We are thankful that it points us and directs us to the Lord Jesus Christ in both Old and New Testaments, but clearer perhaps in the Gospels as we are reading. May the things we learn about him today encourage and comfort and strengthen our hearts that we might also call upon him in sincerity and faith. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as we come to this text from Matthew 15 this morning, you could be forgiven for thinking that this is a text we looked at just a few weeks ago. It was four weeks ago to be precise when we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14 verses 13 to 21. But let me assure you from the outset that it's not the same text and it's not the same context. There are many similarities, of course, that you will note, but there are many differences also that we will come to. The biggest difference of them being not so much the number of people fed, but the context of the occasion in which they were fed. Last week when we noted how Jesus met with the Canaanite woman, that he did so on her territory, not his. And we heard how Jesus had crossed the border and entered into Gentile territory. This is what Bible scholars call his retirement ministry, not in the sense of reaching the retirement age, but in the sense of turning away from dealing with the unbelieving Jews to minister to his disciples and to others. Remember, Jesus had been followed by crowds from the very beginning of his ministry, but had also been opposed by the Pharisees. And while the crowds had been generally receptive, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the other religious leaders of the Jews had been generally unreceptive and unbelieving. And that unbelief has even begun to make its way into the hearts and the minds of the crowds in Israel who are increasingly rejecting Jesus and his claims to be the Messiah. And while that rejection is somewhat indirect at this point in time, it will become more explicit as the time of his death approaches. So get back to the context and to put everything into that context, last week we noted that interaction between Jesus and the Canaanite woman across the border. And in doing so, we noted this amazing truth, that while the Jews were generally rejecting Jesus, this non-Jewish woman acknowledged and confessed him as the Lord, the Son of David. Certainly something that the Jewish religious leaders and the people had not done. 
But this Gentile woman saw in Jesus something that the Jews had not, giving us a striking and a beautiful lesson in what makes up saving faith. But also a snapshot of the compassion of the Saviour as he dealt with this woman in desperate need, the outsider, this defiled woman who became an insider and clean. And so what follows in these verses is along that same vein where in the context of many needs brought to him by many, many Gentiles, the feeding of the 4,000 takes place. Not just one Gentile, thousands of Gentiles outside of Israel and among those who were not of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But nevertheless, people who were objects of the Saviour's love and compassion. So in this morning's text, I want you to see at least three lessons that are going to be learned from Jesus' actions. Let's look together then at the passage. The first truth that we need to note here is that Jesus showed the wideness of his compassion in verses 29 to 31, the wideness of his compassion. Now in Mark's Gospel, you'll find in chapter 7, verse 31, we're told that Jesus is doing this ministry in the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a region marked by ten cities that were ruled by one tetrarch in an area that was predominantly Gentile, non-Jewish. So whereas Jesus has just been in the area of Tyre and Sidon outside of Galilee where he met the needs of one woman, now he's in another Gentile area ministering to many, many more. And so we see this connection between last week and this week. Though Jesus' great mission has come to gather and reclaim the lost sheep of the house of Israel, yet in God's more secret plan not widely known, not widely known or advertised, his concern and his compassion is beyond Israeli sheep to others, to flocks that were yet to be called into that house of God who were to be brought in. And so as Jesus sat down on a mountainside to teach the crowds, they began to bring their sick to him. Matthew tells us, as you'll see on the screen, that among the group who came to him were people who were unable to walk or see, others who were unable to speak, as well as many more. And we note that as he did this, there were no questions raised about the background of any who came. That is, it's not as though he checked that the people he was healing were Jews or others who were somehow qualified for his attention. But all were welcomed. And the crowd is amazed by this. They marvel at his works. And as verse 31 says, they praise the God of Israel. And that's Matthew's hint to you that the crowd is Gentile. 
and that all these blessings had come to them because Jesus had crossed the border to go to them. And so Matthew is letting you know that this great crowd of people that has assembled around Jesus haven't ever known the God of Israel before, yet they recognise that it is the God of Israel doing these marvellous things. And so by ministering in this place and by continuing his ministry to the Gentiles, Jesus is again expanding and laying the groundwork for his own disciples' ministry later to the Gentiles and, of course, for those who would follow them, right down to us who are called to make disciples of all nations, to bring into the kingdom all whom the Lord our God will call. And this is all happening, remember, on Gentile territory. Jesus has crossed the border to be with them and minister to them. And as he does that, we get a picture of what Christian ministry is about. There's no restrictions. There's no one who doesn't qualify for compassion. And if we are going to be anything at all like him in any respect, then we as his people must be unrestrictive in our display of mercy and comprehensive in our love and compassion to others also. We are to do that although it's very, very easy for us to become cocooned within the safety of our own circle and never to reach outside those who are within our circle and never to show compassion and concern for those who are different from us. And it's no misapplication of the text to remind ourselves of the responsibility that we have to show mercy and compassion and to do ministries of mercy and compassion to those who are different to us. Jesus' mercy to the Gentiles is a call to us and a pattern to us to be prepared to show the same kind of unrestricted mercy to others that we meet. Second, in verses 32 to 36, we see the sureness of his actions, the sureness of his actions. With this picture of Jesus in mind, the crowds of Gentiles before him, the sick and the lame receiving from him, it's there and then that the feeding of the 4,000 takes place. This miracle unfolds before the eyes of these people who, they, who though might be unimportant in the eyes of the disciples, are to Jesus very, very precious. Now, how do we know this? Well, we know this because we can compare the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 14 and the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 15 and note the differences which reveal what's going on. Now, here some liberal scholars will tell you that Matthew slipped up and was in error. He repeated the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and didn't realise what he'd done, which is why we have two feeding miracles but no, Matthew wasn't confused. We know that because in chapter 16, the next chapter, Jesus himself speaks to his disciples about the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 to see if they've learned the lessons from both of them. 
But if that's not enough, let's note the differences between the two events that show that they're not the same event. For a start, the significant details in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 are different. Obviously, the number of people is different in each event, but the number of loaves are different and the size of the baskets are different. In the feeding of the 5,000, the reference is to small wicker baskets that you might use to carry a small amount of food or some flowers from your garden. Twelve of those were left over. Twelve small wicker baskets. In the feeding of the 4,000, another kind of basket is spoken of, a larger basket, a type so big that the Apostle Paul was let down over the city wall in one of them. As we read in the book of Acts. So we've got a big big basket compared to a small basket. But Matthew also gives you more detail. He goes to the trouble of telling you here that the people sat down on the ground, whereas in the feeding of the 5,000 they sat on the grass. And so we note that if the feeding of the 4,000 happened in the spring, then the grass was beginning to die by this time. And then there are various verbal differences with different purposes recorded. One commentator says, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus seems to be concerned that the disciples should understand how utterly dependent upon him they must always be. If they are to do what they would have them to do, what they to do what he they would have him to do, they must be in dependence upon him. But then listen to what he says is the reason for this miracle. In the feeding of the four thousand, Jesus seems to be indirectly reproving them for their lack of sympathy for the needs of Gentile people. So we have this contrast. Feeding of the 5,000 happens near the shore of the Sea of Galilee in a Jewish region and the disciples come to him and say, Lord, these desperate people are hungry. But now the feeding of the 4,000 takes place in a Gentile region and Jesus has to bring to the disciples' attention the fact people are hungry. So the two scenarios are quite different. And in this one, what's being highlighted by Matthew is the compassion of Jesus. Now, there are at least another eight times in the Gospels that the Gospel writers point out to us the compassion of Jesus. J.C. Ryle says, None ever seems to have felt so much when he saw a crowd as Christ. None ever seems to have felt so much when he saw a crowd as Christ. And that's precisely the lesson that Jesus is wanting to convey to these disciples of his, that they needed to look beyond the boundary of their comfort zone. They were not to be blinkered and think, only the lost sheep of the house of Israel, only the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If they did, they would have learned nothing at all from the events with the Canaanite woman. He didn't heal her daughter because his hand was forced, nor was this a moment of giving in because of pressure. 
Rather, he wanted to do that for her. It was his will and he wanted his disciples to have the same mindset and get on this wavelength, if you like. For after his death and resurrection and ascension, the new covenant arrangement would not be one that would be limited and narrow, but broader and wider. It would not be about the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Its scope would be the whole world. These were disciples who were about to be sent by him from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the gospel they told would break down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, as we are told in Ephesians 2. And that way both Jew and Gentile would come to salvation the same way, by grace, through faith. It's the lesson that the Apostle Peter had to learn when God sent him to the house of Cornelius. Remember how much convincing it took to get Peter to go to the house, to leave his comfort zone. Well, this is a call to us too. All of us have to have in mind the need to make sure that we keep each other safe in a dark and unbelieving world and that's right and understandable. But here we are shown that we ought not think that that circle involves nobody else. There are also the marginalised, the different, the ones we might feel right to shun and avoid. And you could ask yourself, who are the Gentiles in my experience? Who are the unloved? Who are the unlovely? Who are the unclean that I know? Who are the unwashed? Who are the untouchables? Who will you show the compassion of Christ to? Paul said of him and his other workers, the love of Christ constrains us, particularly with reference to making the gospel known. Is that love of Christ and his love for you evident and uppermost in you, leading you to do likewise wherever you go, and in whatever you do. Thirdly, let's note in verses 37 to 39, we see the culmination of the miracle as everyone eats and we're reminded of the satisfaction in his provision. Satisfaction in the Lord's provision. Well, I admit this much as we come to this last point that the sermon I preached on the feeding of the 5,000 just four weeks ago also had this same conclusion. This whole idea of finding satisfaction in what Jesus could and did supply. And if it sounds like I'm repeating myself here, then, well, maybe I am to some extent. I'm repeating it because Jesus repeated it. Like all good teachers, he used repetition as an important teaching tool. He not only taught some lessons to his disciples once, he taught them again and again. And here we find Jesus teaching his disciples the same lesson again. He gives them another reminder that he is the only one who can do what is needed 
and that their subsequent dependence on him is absolutely vital. We can glean that from their reaction to him in verse 33. Just a few months before, before he fed 5,000 people and had shown them what could be done when the little they had was placed in his hands, now he asked them a similar question. How are we going to feed them? They responded, well, we just don't know what we're going to do. There's no food in this place. How sad for them. They had just seen Jesus feed 5,000. He had asked them to give something to eat to them. And they saw what he did and now he says, how are we going to feed them? And they go, no idea, not the foggiest. How disheartening for Jesus. How sad for the disciples. How they needed to learn the lesson again, just as we are taught again and again, sometimes the same lesson, aren't we? Calvin says this here, because daily a similar dullness creeps over us. How's that for good language? A similar dullness creeps over us. We must be more careful never to let our minds be turned aside from reckoning the benefits of God. He knows that just like the disciples, we will forget how dependent we are upon the Lord. We will forget how powerful he is for all our needs and that we must constantly grow in our trust in Jesus' power wherever there is a felt need for only he can answer us in the hour of need. And yes, as the text says, as it was in the feeding of the 5,000, so it was with the feeding of the 4,000. As verse 28 says, they all ate and were satisfied. Basketfuls were left over. Basketfuls. Think on that. Not crusts. Not crumbs that you take home and feed to your chickens. But basketfuls. Think on how they would remember that. They came home with a basketful. A man-sized basketful. The Lord's provision was never going to be just enough and a little bit left over, but more than enough with all participating going away full. And that is how it is with Christ. If you come to him by faith, you will find not only a partial satisfaction, but you will find a full satisfaction. No one who has ever truly come to Jesus has ever gone away from him and said, well, he just didn't meet what I needed. How can it be when he says of himself, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Well, as we bring this to a close, consider for a moment the image given to us in this text of people of all kinds making their way to Jesus for the healing of their bodies. As we read about in Isaiah chapter 28, 29 this morning,
How typical of humankind this is to think more about their earthly physical needs than about their spiritual needs. People are often so more zealous about their body's needs than about their soul's needs. Whether it's about dieting or exercising or skin care or beauty or about healing, these things so easily get the priority, don't they? And we would do well to remember the English proverb, diseases of the soul are more dangerous than those of the body. For surely a lack of physical hunger is one thing, but a lack of spiritual hunger is far worse. Our souls can be afflicted by maladies far more deep-seated, far more complicated, far harder to cure than any disease our physical body will ever know. Our souls must be healed effectually or they will perish everlastingly. Is that you this morning? Are you in the, in the basket with those who care far more about bodily health or financial health than the state of your heart and your soul? See, our greatest problem is not what presented to Jesus that day. It's not sickness. Our greatest problem is sin. And if we don't recognise that we have a problem in that area, then that's our biggest problem above all. For it's those who recognise their need who find the cure that not only Jesus can bring, but that Jesus is as the cure. And surely with him, as we look through the text, there is no unwillingness to meet the need we have. The only issue is our reluctance to come to him, our lack of hunger for him, and our satisfaction with the things that truly don't satisfy. That's the major issue. If we don't see or lament over our need, then we'll never grow in his grace, nor realise that when we have him, we need nothing more. May the Lord enable you to know that in your heart this day. Let's pray. We come, gracious God, with thanks that you sent your Son into the world. We heard that saying that you had only one son and he was a missionary, that he came to us in this world of woe, meeting, as he did, all kinds of sick and diseased, healing them out of compassion and love, feeding them out of his mercy and grace. We think of ourselves, Lord. Are our souls impoverished? Are they poor and hungry? Have we become people concerned only with the physical, that we forget the spiritual? We thank you that in this 
miracle we find the fullness of Jesus' gifts, that he not only broke bread and fish and gave it to his disciples to pass out to others, but he once broke bread and said, this is my body and this is my blood. And he gave that to each of the disciples and they took that and remembered him. And we would remember that he gives of himself so freely and willingly his body broken for us, his blood shed to make us whole. So give us a hunger, we pray, to feed on him who offers the ultimate satisfaction of soul. And where we don't find that hunger, Lord, we cry out to you, Lord, make us hungry for Christ that we might be truly filled. We ask it in his name. Amen.